All right, hello, what's going on? My name is Rich Ryan. This is Reinforced Learning Podcast coming at you today. We are doing a solo episode. So I'm going to talk a lot about my lead up into uh, DecaFit World Championships, uh, an event that I was able to come away with a win, which is my first world championship in this uh, avenue. And uh, kind of talk about what I think that means and also kind of how it got there. So it starts about in mid June and takes you through each part of my training and kind of the thoughts behind why I did what I did in that in the training and where I thought it and and how I thought it kind of played out on race day. I talk a little bit about the race itself, but I'm going to save that for some different content um, on like the on YouTube uh, for uh, just a bit more of a, a visual for the for that race experience. But um, yeah, it was really fun to kind of reflect again. Uh, I hope this is helpful. That's the idea is to get to uh, fill you in on what I find as a uh, appropriate style for leading to an A race. So I hope you think this is good and fun to listen to. Just me talking for about 65 minutes about DecaFit. Here we go. All right. So I've been thinking quite a bit about how I kind of wanted to recap this thing and how I wasn't sure exactly the right format. So it's because of what happened is I'm just going to sit here and talk. And I don't know if that's going to be more self-indulgent than not. You be the judge of that. But I hope that this is helpful. Uh, I had a really dedicated and specific lead up to this one race, the DecaFit World Championships uh, in November 2022. So I wanted to take this time and, and say all the things that I want people to to know about or I think that would be helpful. So I'm really going to talk mostly about the training and how it got to that point and how I felt during it and what I thought it did for me. And then I'll do a little touch on the actual race itself. Um, and I, I'm planning on doing some more like YouTube content around the actual race where I'm going to watch it and kind of break things down and, and talk about talk about it a little bit further. Um, but but um, the people, you all, uh, you who is listening to this uh, podcast, who, d- who, who tunes into these ones and, you know, uh, I get good feedback around the the Q&A stuff and the super nerdy stuff, the training stuff. So uh, I think this might be helpful for the athletes who are interested in endurance training and hybrid training in the whole deal. So yeah, I'm just going to take it in chronological order and what exactly kind of what I did and why I did it leaning in. And, uh, and you know, when I think about what we're, what we're doing here in the hybrid space, it is so new. And like, this is the first championship. This is the first championship that exists in the DecaFit specific arena. And, because of that, we are just starting. This is the infancy of training. And down the road, my accomplishments and my credentials, and I think everybody's who are who are competing right now, are probably going to be not very strong in 10 years and 20 years if this is still rolling. Like these first times that these people, myself and Ryan Kent, Ryan Shadag and Tara Jackson, with all these ones, all these races that these times these accomplishments we had are probably not going to look very good, but we are 
right in the beginning. And I'm not saying what I'm doing is the best in terms of methods, but it is some methodology that can be used to help build uh, a better athletes and stronger and faster. And if that's taking what I've done or what we've all done here as a collective group and deciding that it's not the best way to do it, (laughs) then in a historical sense, it's relevant, right? Or if it's along the way of leading people into getting better and getting stronger and and how to take it and tinker with it. So I just want, I want to put it out there and, you know, it might not age well down the road, but right now I think it's helpful. So um, basically when I, decided that DECA was going to be a main priority. It was directly after uh, High Rocks. And the seasons don't line up. I mean, the seasons are great because they are uh, opposing, but it's also no real time for any type of off-season. So I knew I couldn't jump directly into DECA Fit training to be specific for it if I wanted to help build my my floor higher and get closer to that ceiling and even you know breaking past that ceiling and getting better across the board at all the things I need to get better at. And coming out of High Rocks in uh, May, I felt like I needed to get stronger. I felt like I was uh, a better runner than most of the athletes in that field. And I wasn't able to express that because I felt it was due to a lack of strength. And I think that I might be incorrect on that thinking now. I don't necessarily think that I was a great runner at the time. I think I was a good runner with a inflated perception of how good I actually was based on previous performances and not what I was able to do in those moments. So looking at it, I probably didn't need to go into a full on strength training block at that time, but I, I did anyway, <laughs> cause that's what I, that's what I thought I needed. So, and on top of that, uh, where I was in my training, where I did in the previous year, I, I put a hypertrophy phase on to gain muscle. And I got really strong. And I, so I was going to kind of just replicate that. So going into a hypertrophy phase in order to effectively gain muscle mass quickly, I also put myself in a caloric surplus and along with caloric surplus, I've spoken about this uh, many times on this podcast, I believe is that, um, you'll all like, I also will, uh, will gain fat with that as well. Right. So you kind of just create this, environment for your body to grow <laughs> in more ways than one. And that was really where I, where I started things off uh, directly after high rocks training. So that was in the summertime. So there was a bit of a time down, but then when I got into June, I, I just started to do some general running and doing some a super squats program is what I, what it's called. It's a program from the eighties that it's 20 rep back squat program. And then the accessory lifts are all hypertrophy lifts. So it's uh, a lot of strict press, bench press, um, straight leg RDLs for, uh, you know, working three by 10, for example, or two by 15. And it works, but it's also really, really demanding. And in terms of what that program did to my running, it was detrimental because of how hard it was. So my running also suffered just in terms of the intensity that I could put out while doing the super squats program, which was just twice a week. So I did that for five to six weeks. Um, I think the previous time I did five, this time I kind of put maybe five and a half. Like I found that's enough doing that twice a week. It's just, it's just really hard, but it worked really well. I took my 20 rep back squat from 245 in from the previous year 
that's where the progression ended. I think it started at 185, ended at 245, and it's adding five pounds on to uh, the bar every single session. So not every week, every session. So you do it. I was doing a Monday and Friday, and then I would do an accessory lift on Wednesday or like some intensity stuff on Wednesday. And just in that five to six weeks, I was able to put on 50 pounds on that 20 rep back squat. And from this time, I think I started at 225 and ended at 270. So 270 for a 20 rep is pretty massive for me. And I was, it was working. <laughs> the specificity of that, of that progression really, really works. So as I was doing that, this is in June, I was doing some easy miles on trails and then doing some light Metcon stuff, um, some moderate Metcon stuff. I was working out with Ryan Kent on Wednesday mornings and we would go out and we just do uh, three by five minutes or four by five minutes uh, doing various um, DECA related and, and sometimes not related Metcon pieces, just kind of really kind of crank up that intensity on that end. And then I was working on the other side of the spectrum, doing some longer tempo runs and and some really short, faster sprints on my running days. So like 60 meter type sprints are really working on these, uh, these margins upon reflection. So I did this for through June up until, uh, for about five weeks up until my first event, which was in July, which is July 16th, which was a deck a mile. And upon reflection, that specific progression is a perfect way to be completely flat all of the time, <laughs> all of the time, the 20 rep back squat and the slow, uh, longer tempo runs was just a drag. And if I had to do that over, I probably would have skipped those tempo runs and kind of held into a, uh, more of a, uh, shorter threshold type of workouts. And I'm going to talk extensively about threshold workouts going, going forward. Um, so Coming out of that, I uh, had a deck a mile and it was like the last week of the super squats progression. Um, and at that time I was also doing a little bit of uh, progression on the uh, ski erg and the rower at when, when it could fit and what it would look like would be uh, 10, 8 to 12 by 60 to 60 seconds to 120 seconds at a uh, pace that I could sustain probably for 5k on both of those machines It's just kind of build the capacity and using a very short recovery piece in, in there, like 20 to 45 seconds, depending on the length of the interval. And that was really just helping me become familiar with the, with the, with uh, the capacity and just like the machinery itself and like how it would recover from that. So that was going well. And like, that was the first time I ever put in a dedicated progression on both of those machines. And that was a through line throughout this entire program is that I was on those machines in some capacity or another two times a week, no matter what. And now I'll talk throughout the progression for that as well. But the, so leading into Decamile, uh, super flat, also gaining weight, muscle and fat. And my Decamile went poorly. <laughs> it, went, it did not go well at all. Uh, my time was 20, 22. And it didn't qualify. It wasn't enough to qualify me for the, the world championships and of all the events in terms of where, of like how of the like attendance, that was probably the lowest attended that had the longest roll down and it still didn't make it. I think I would finished in the high thirties in terms of my seed time. So it was a little frustrating. I didn't have another shot to do one. 
And because of that, I, I was like on my phone trying to figure out flights. Like, where's the closest place? Not a ton of affiliates out here in Colorado, but uh, there wasn't any other attempt that I could make at it throughout the season. So that was my one attempt, and I was crossing my fingers hoping to get it would get me in, and it did not. And from because and from there, we had Decafit Chicago in just two weeks after. So at this point, I was flat. I was strong, but I was big and I didn't have a ton of time. And that was by choice. I knew this race in Chicago was going to be something that I might not be optimally prepared for. The previous season in 2021, Decafit went really well. I ran two races. I won them both. My times, uh, I, at the time, I had uh, the world record coming out of the 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 season. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm just good at Decafit. <laughs> maybe this is just something that I'm good at. And one thing that I've also noticed uh, as I've getting been getting older, that if I'm not prepared for something like a Deca Mile with those demands or a Deca Fit with those demands or a Spartan Race at Fort Carson with those demands, I'm not going to do well. It's just not in the cards for me anymore. Maybe when I was a younger kid and I could just go out and do it, I could do what I thought was well and probably left a lot on the table. But now I know I can't do well. Can't do well at all. So that was uh, uh, also something I've learned in the past six to eight months or so. But I thought my training from High Rocks, which went fairly well, and my ability level and just kind of like this time domain and where it sat, I thought like that could do I thought I could do it um, without too. I thought I could qualify for worlds without too much. So going into Chicago, I kind of switched up a little bit. I put some faster reps up uh, in, in my program along with the threshold ski and the threshold run and moved out of super squats into more of a, uh, um, a starting strength uh, derivative called the Texas method, which you kind of work toward a five rep max in uh squats and squats press and deadlift. So we're from 20, 20 reps down into five. And that feels good. That feels really good doing a big endurance block of strength and then going right into something that is uh, maybe not all the way on the lowest end when you're working at 90% and above, but that 80 to 85, like 75 to 80% of working uh, between five and eight reps feels great. Like you can do a lot of heavy weight and, a, and a, at higher reps. And because of the demands of a 20 rep back squat, it's just not that hard. I found if you went all the way down to like three reps, the weight feels a little bit too heavy and you're just, I, I'm just not prepared to hit that type of progression. So if you are looking to do a strength progression into more of a, uh, uh, like a strength endurance into a maximal strength, I would kind of bridge that with something in that five to eight rep range and work your way down. Even if it's just like a linear progression of uh, of like a five, three, one or something like that. I think that that would be uh, a really good place to go. Or if you're just doing five reps and adding a percentage each week to work your way up until it gets too heavy, then you got to drop to four reps and it gets too heavy. and You got to drop to three reps. That would probably be the best way if you're looking to really improve like your one rep max or your maximal strength. But uh, so that's something I learned from this phase after last phase uh, last year is that to kind of bridge that strength endurance into the uh, max strength to kind of have some middle middle uh, strength progression there. Um, it's very helpful and it feels good. So and I also 
uh, added in just a touch of some DECA specific specificity just for like one workout, just to see. It's like, okay, let's run after I row and see how it goes. And uh, I was like, okay, this seems fine. Um, and then Deck Chicago came and it was didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't go well on July 30th. Uh, Kent was there, kicked my butt. Riker was there, he kicked my butt. And that was it's never fun to not race well, um, but it was very just. Dis- discouraging in the moment but i knew where i was in this process and mostly in the strength building process of my physical strength and where my body composition was is that that i wasn't ready to perform (laughs) i wasn't ready my the my last a race was in may this is july it's too soon to build up to get to this point to really care about the performance the race was paying out and i thought maybe i had a shot to win because i just uh, believe in myself that way. And and if there's a race out here in this, in this domain, like I think I have a shot, but, uh, I didn't, <laughs> I got really worked and a little frustrated, um, through pity party, maybe for a day, but again, it was the process of it. I really tapered, I barely tapered and do anything specific. And it was right back to work, you know? And, and from here I had, uh, a bit of inspiration from Kent, from Ryan Kent and from um, Bracken Crocker. Bracken came out to that race. And I remember specifically we were out to dinner and we started talking about this, uh, this double threshold uh, concept that the Norwegians have been doing. Right. And uh, the, if you follow track and field, like it's Jakob Ingerbikstein has been kind of a, a phenomenon in in track and field, he was the Olympic gold medalist. And this past year he was silver in the 1500 and where he won gold in the Olympics. And he was the gold medal winner in the 5k, but they have a specific training style. Them, uh, those runners in particular, and in the past, like this isn't a new thing in, in Norway, uh, but they use it also for their, their Nordic athletes and their, um, triathletes. And just basically the concept is doing multiple threshold workouts uh, a week and then also doing them twice, doing doubles of them. So it'd be like Tuesday, two threshold workouts, Friday, two threshold workouts. And then the rest of it is pretty much easy mileage. And, um, just in those conversations, I was like, you know what, let's, let's try this. I, 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 I'm open. I'm, I'm skeptical generally of these type of training methods, but I'm open to them as well. So, that was a point where I was like, I'm going to have to do something. And threshold is something I believe in. And I always have from, from my college years and all the way through, that is an, uh, uh, an area of endurance training that I find to be very effective. And I, I did a whole long monologue on threshold training on my previous like Q and a just a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to do a bit of deeper dive, go back and check that one out. But uh, basically what threshold is, it's a pace that you can hold for about an hour. It's uh, it's an area that's going to uh, um, <clears throat> give you a bit of a lactate response in your bloodstream. So you're working off uh, kind of like an in-between uh, area where you can go faster without eliciting that um, lactic response. And then when you do, you're able to handle it much better. Um in like the 30 second way of explaining it. So I was like, all right, you know what? Let's, let's try it. So I started to implement some double threshold workouts and what those were looking like were threshold on Tuesday, threshold on Friday runs in the morning and in the afternoon machine work or specific work for, 
um, deck in. In the beginning, it was mostly machine, machine-based stuff. And a huge challenge of this all was that I had moved to Colorado in February, and this is now August. And those that time domain or that uh, an intensity level of running at altitude is absolutely horrible. It is so hard. <laughs> I couldn't get my respiration rate under control to the point where I was confident doing these workouts that I would actually get to that point where I would reach that response. So I, and uh, so it was very hard for me to want to do this. <laughs> I just couldn't fathom working out at that work rate all of the time. But uh, one thing that I haven't done in the past that I did in this training block was just really shorten down the, the, the intervals for threshold. I usually kind of start when I'm at sea level at five minutes at like miles at mile and a half up to two miles and it's sustainable feels okay. It's not bad, but at altitude, it feels bad. (laughs) It feels really, really bad. And I'm almost too familiar with running that I would get really frustrated with it, not feeling the way I'm used to it feeling and that I was just in poor shape. So I really shortened it. Uh, I got a workout from a uh, friend, Nick Mask, who was uh, a workout that they called Georgetown's back in the day where uh, in college where they would do 32 by 400 at a specific pace that, that would be threshold pace and which isn't fast. And it would just be, you know, 80 seconds of running and then 30 seconds rest and you just go and just go and just go. And it, that's going to give you that response. To me, it doesn't make sense because it's not very specific. You don't really get into that grindy feeling of what threshold does because threshold is not as just a physiological uh, awesome workout, but mentally it is fantastic. It is amazing what that workout will do to your mental game because it's so hard. It's, it's not so it's because it's hard enough that you don't want to do it, but it's not hard enough that you can do it. So you have to choose to kind of sit there and just deal with it. So I always liked the longer pieces, but because I was doing so terrible with it at altitude, I dropped it to like 400s and two minutes and three minutes. And this is something I think was very helpful for people who are just kind of starting to learn how to do threshold is just to do short intervals of it and just do really, really short rest. And then you can kind of progress up and up and up and really handle the feeling of that. So I just started at 400s and my other workout would be uh, two and a half minutes, three minutes. Uh, And again, these, I like it every five minutes is a minute of recovery. So just working backwards from that. So it would be if you did two and a half minute interval, you would get 30 seconds of rest and then just, and so on and so forth, whatever. Um, that's kind of how I like to do those workouts. There's plenty of ways to do it, but I think that's the best way. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, I would do something either on the assault bike, on the ski erg, on the row, very similar in, in that. So this was a bit of a, this felt like a risk to me, it's all very aggressive. It was doubling the amount of quality work that I was doing, but being in this hybrid space, uh, I was willing to try it because I didn't have to do four threshold running workouts per week. I could do it in a very specific manner on low impact machines and feel like I was still getting the benefit without really killing myself. So I did that for four weeks And then I moved into a different phase of training um, after the Texas method for the strength, where uh, it was a 
deviation of advanced German volume training and uh, a five through one progression. So I did an un undulated progression here while I was working. Uh, the advanced German volume training is uh, usually 10 sets. I did eight of starting at five, five reps at a lower percentage of like, uh, I think it was like 70% or something like that. And then, um, so like eight sets of five at a weight that is doable, but heavy and, uh, with like 90 seconds rest. And that I loved, I really, really liked that because it was he a lot of volume of heavy lifting or regular German volume training is like 10 by 10. That's the old school Arnold stuff where it's hypertrophy work, but the volume is just a lot. Um, so you kind of cut the volume in half there, but the weight goes up. So it feels very productive without really killing, killing me. Um, and, and German volume training, I think is really great for high rocks work. If you want to make sure that you're going to be prepared for the demands of those lunges and of those squats. But again, it comes at a cost. It's very, it's, it's painful. <laughs> it's pretty painful on that. And around this time, I also, uh, tested out my 2k ski and of this from this uh, progression that I had been doing I went from a pretty modest 730 2k at altitude down to uh, 721 a still fairly modest um, uh, 2k and but a nine second improvement over the course of like six weeks or so so I decided to change that into a more of like a vo2 max interval to, to deviate off the progression from just threshold on the ski where it would be two, or it would be like four to six by two and a half to three minutes at sub two K pace, or it ended up being like right around two K pace. And then with one to one recovery. So very, very hard, very, 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 very hard work on the skier. And that, uh, that also sucked. So that ended up taking place of one of my threshold, uh, pieces in the afternoon and then the other ones would, would stay pretty consistent uh, for the running. So it was doing, you know, 24 to 28 by 400 in the mornings on Fridays. And on Tuesdays, I was working still like in that three, three minute rep range where I'd do like eight to 10 by three minutes or so. And then having some piece of uh, assault bike or ski in the afternoon uh, for, for the double threshold there. So I stuck with that up until Deca West Palm. So I had about four weeks of this training and it felt like I was making really solid progression when it come, when it came to <clears throat> my, my running fitness, it felt like more comfortable. It felt better. It felt faster. I, I felt like I was getting better. I was mar marking out some of my metrics on, on the running and where, how my heart rate went and how that uh, uh, correlated to my pace. And it seemed like it was working. So I came in a deck up West Palm pretty, pretty confident in what I was going to be able to do. Hold on. Excuse me. <coughs> Ugh. When it's just me talking, it's like I'm talking too much. I'm just talking and talking and talking. And just my, my throat. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. So and also excuse me for not, not editing this out, which I definitely should. But I'm just going to keep talking. So going into Deca West Palm, which was the end of August, it was actually September 3rd. And 
Again, I was feeling pretty confident, but I was still in that strength building phase. I still hadn't given it up. I had a plan for a hypertrophy phase for up until about this point, and I didn't want to deviate. I wanted to get stronger. I still felt like the strength was going to be helpful long term. And again, this wasn't the A race. This is still like a B-ish race, and this was last second. I wasn't even going to do West Palm, but Chicago went so poorly that I was like, I need another crack at this race. I need to learn more about this race. And... So I decided to do it and I did it just off of threshold work in the morning, threshold work in the afternoon, nothing mixed, nothing specific. There's some skill work that I was doing with my strength work, but nothing uh, that was going to replicate the demands of this race in particular. So I wanted to go and see how uh, just my running or just my aerobic capacity could improve my overall results and just like take a different approach in my racing. And in that race, I went out real hard. Wanted to just try to make it a suffer fest and see how well I could hold on to that. And uh, it turned out not great. I got about five stations in and was zonked. I couldn't, I barely finished the thing <laughs> and uh, went out with the leaders, ended up finishing eighth, uh, improved my time, improved my time by like 40 seconds or so, which was encouraging. But um, overall, it was still clear that I wasn't there, that my fitness in general wasn't ready and that the the weight that I was holding for my uh, strength progression was affecting that, my strength progression and my training in general. I just was still feeling kind of flat. I didn't have any pop. I just was feeling uh, sluggish and, again, didn't taper down. And it was the process. And it's just, again, it's just frustrating when the biggest race of the year up to that point, I got worked in. And so – that was mentally challenging, but at the same time, I was like, I have work to do and I know what work needs to be done. So I went back at it. And at this point is where I did start to kind of work into uh, more of a caloric deficit. I switched gears and uh, put myself in a bit of a caloric deficit while also ramping up the, the volume of things uh, by doing some doubles. And that's something that I really like to do is running uh, some doubles in the morning and this particular progression or phase I, d- I chose to do uh, five mile doubles where I would do those in the morning. And I, uh, it just is, it's good for my, my mentality. It helps me get the miles up pretty quick. And up until that point, my miles were pretty low still. Uh, I guess I was kind of in the, uh, yeah, I was in the more like the 40 miles a week range up until this point and then adding in just the, just those two doubles it immediately bumps me up, uh, into the, the fifties. And I was also making my, my longer runs a little bit longer into the 10, 12 range. So my miles kind of jumped into the mid fifties almost immediately after that. Um, so in general, I wouldn't recommend this if you aren't somewhat familiar with putting yourself in a caloric deficit. And I've been on the wrong side of this, um, of, of this battle, I guess you could say, uh, where trying to lose weight to improve performance for a long time. And I really didn't know where that line was of how I should feel and, and how it does feel. But one thing I've learned over the years, and this is very helpful in terms of the it, w- tracking the food, your food intake is very, was very helpful for me in this is like learning what I feel like when I'm fueled, learning what I feel like when I'm overfueled, learning what I feel like when I'm underfueled. So now I know what that underfueled feeling feels like. And there's like a, a, 
a, a, a final one where it's like you're drastically underfueled and it's going to be detrimental for your life. <laughs> and I lived there for a long time in my in my early 20s and my college years. So I know what that feels like. And I know where to draw that line of when it's too, when it's not enough um, and when I've gone too far. So again, I would not recommend <laughs> what I did here to most people. <clears throat> um, but I have been playing with this for several years now. And I was confident that I was able to be able to put myself in a place that would be healthy and also appropriate for my goals here. So ramping up the volume, <laughs> ramping up the, the um, intensity might not always work. And, but this was a, this was a risky move and I was ready to do it. I, I knew I had to push all my chips in. I had about nine weeks or nine or 10 weeks, I guess, from West Palm to really bring it. And I decided that was what I was going to do. So another piece of this was um, I I had ripped off a pretty nice DECA strong when I happened to be at sea level uh, just visiting some friends at home. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to qualify for the world champions for deck strong. And that was actually, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but really a big moment for this entire progression because I wanted to do well at that. And I was like, okay, now I need to train for both of these things. It's like, how, but how am I going to do that? So I sought out some, some counsel from some of my friends in the in the in the profession and people that I had just been meeting so I uh, after West Palm I did I chatted with um with a good friend Bracken Crocker and he kind of gave me some good good advice and just mentioning about how like to keep the threshold going but also do longer ones, <laughs> do longer pieces of it. I was starting to get the hang of the threshold at the shorter one, at the shorter like 400s, and I felt confident that I could hit those. But really for it to benefit me, I needed to do the longer grindy stuff. That's where the magic happens for me. I hate doing it because it, it's such a scary workout. <laughs> and uh, especially at altitude, it's it's just not awesome. But it was encouraging that, and, and it made me get up to – five minute intervals and, and beyond. And so Brecken was really instrumental in helping me uh, decide where to go with this training. And then I had joined a CrossFit gym in, in, in here in Denver called CrossFit Omnia, which is one of the best CrossFit gyms in the country. They finished seventh of the games this year. They have an individual on the women's side who qualified for the last chance qualifier. And if you know anything about CrossFit, like those are the last chance qualifier is like your top 10 in your semifinal and you're like, you're, you've been, you've probably been to the games before you have a really good chance to go there and have like a teen that finished like top 10, like really good gym in this space. So because we're definitely adjacent to a CrossFit, I wanted to seek out like what he thought is appropriate in terms of volume frequency. And when I went and asked him like, Hey, how should I train for this? We sat down and had a conversation about how I should train for, like this deck is strong and he gave me some very practical, easy advice. And I think it to him, he was like, do well, duh, just do this, do basically what it was is doing three to six by three minutes with sh like 
40 seconds rest of the station work, just doing like three stations in a row and then resting of doing it at a pace that is not sustainable, getting an overhead, going a little crazy on like, like how fast you're going in and out of the transitions. And that was really helpful. It was really painful, <laughs> really, really painful. Um, but it was also pretty empowering to, for him to be like, yeah, you can just kind of do this. So my workouts were, my weeks were looking like strength work, hard intensity, but short duration on Monday and Thursday, double threshold Tuesday and Friday. So in terms of intensity now, I have way more than I've done before. So much more than I've ever done before. And as an endurance athlete, this was scary to me, <laughs> but um, talking to to John Colborn over at CrossFit Omnia, he was pretty confident that um, it was just, it's fine. Like dosing it this way in different domains, you won't have any, any issues. And, and he was like, oh yeah, it's like eight to 10 weeks out. Like you're going to have plenty of time to, to adapt to this and to adjust to it. If I had to do it different, I would probably, it got a little tiresome and like, there's not a ton of, uh, tangible feeling you can get on that, on that progression. I would probably keep it pretty. I tried to expand the time. I'd probably keep it in that two and a half to three. Once it got into like three and a half, four, I was just dying a lot, <laughs> especially when I started mixing in a lot of more, um, assault bike and getting like doing assault bike work faster than you, than you should be doing assault bike work is horrible, but it also was very helpful. in like, for me to learn like what is actually sustainable. If I'm like getting on the thing and trying to crank 90 RPMs for 18 calories and I'm dying before that, it's like, okay, I can't do that in the race. I'm going to have to do less than that in the race. Even though I want to do 90 to match some of the top competitors, dudes like can't like corner. Like I just can't do that. <laughs> and that helped me learn that. And uh, another piece that I did was just kind of working on my, my maximum assault uh, sprints is something I did with the intensity on Monday and Thursday is just doing like 10 second sprints in like a minute and 40 to a minute and 50 recovery, seeing how high I could get that uh, assault bike up and cranking. Usually on the assault bike, it gets to like 110, 108 to 110 RPMs. I go RPMs, not wattage. Um, apparently after, after uh, like hundred RPMs, it's not accurate on the wattage anyway. So, um, so those are okay. And it, it would take you, take you pretty high. And, and most of the athletes who I had helped prepare for this event, were doing pretty similar stuff as well. Um, and, and though in like a similar, some sort of similar fashion, maybe without as much frequency, <clears throat> but working in like this intensity type of style. And so that was the cadence that I held on to a long time. Um, from through September, um, through, October. And once I got to about maybe, let's see what it was, uh, six weeks out or so, I, or no, 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 let's not like five weeks out or so is when I really started to, uh, sharpen things up, uh, about four weeks out, <clears throat> I dropped all of, I dropped the threshold and put more high intensity work in, uh, on the running side of things. So it'd be Fast 400s at mile pace, 600s at mile pace, and then kept that and then was doing more what I was calling DECA threshold in the afternoon, which would be like a run, a station, a run um, at that threshold um, intensity level. So this was uh, when I started doing this, it was about uh, had a down week 
in the first week of October and from October 10th until uh, the race, this was uh, my method. So about five weeks. And I talked to my good friend, Tim Silvestri, who is on the uh, uh, athletic performance side of psychology. He's a psychologist by trade and uh, sports psychology is uh, uh, an area of uh, expertise he has come into over the years. So I reached out to him uh, as I wanted to um, Sorry, I got to hit the cough the bu- hit the cough button that time. Um, so I'm having some more throat tickle issues. Bear with me. So I reached out to Tim, and he was great. I'm going to have him on the podcast soon to talk about this a little bit further. But he's basically like, "What what do you need to see from yourself? What kind of workout do you need to do to uh, know that you're ready? Know that nobody can do what you can do in this field?" And to me, I instantly thought like four by 10 minutes at threshold pace with two minutes recovery. If I do that at altitude, like at whatever pace it comes out, like I'm going to be an absolute problem. It's going to be a real problem for people. And I was able to execute on that workout almost twice. I did three by 10 and then one by five. And then I did four by 10 and the pace was good. (laughs) The pace was solid. It was between like five, 12 for all of the 10 minute pieces Um, at altitude, which is usually you add 10 seconds to your threshold pace. So if I was at sea level, that might be like five Oh twos, um, doing those. So doing that, I was like, okay, I'm actually ready. I did 40 minutes of running at five twelve at altitude and felt good enough to fight another day. So that was a workout that I had planned on about four weeks out from the event. And then from there I was going to start to work in some more specific demands. Uh, I did the, that, that, <clears throat> um, the deck of thresholds. I did the four by 10 minutes. And then from there I did at, like every week leading up to the event, which was one, two, I had three weeks uh, of three weekends of hard workouts that I can could do leading up to the event. And I did one was a, a 5k baseline on my own. I did a deck of sim two weeks out from the event. I did a deck of strong one week out from the event just so I could, I could feel confident in a plan, (laughs) you know, and just like knowing what it felt like to get in and out of the stations and just to be able to plan a little bit more. And I was also doing higher end row stuff running after the row and the deck of threshold works and the deck of specific work was also ramping up and, and those weren't anything crazy, right? Those weren't anything that were, that were going to bust your brain and how, how awesome and how creative they are. It just was the race kind of broken up. Like one is 30 lunges, run 500, 500 meter row, run 500, rest two minutes, and then just do the next couple of stations, you know, run 500, then 20 box step overs, run 500 and then 500 meter ski. I usually like to have the run after uh, the stations, uh, unless it's the machines. So I would like to have like a run into the machine and out of the machine to kind of put that in the middle, but I'd be, I'd be fine, fine ending with, uh, with the run. Like, I don't know. It's tough. So I like to have a run starting and finishing on both. So I, I would take like, I'd make them two fifty sometimes just to not add up a ton of volume, but whatever these workouts, again, weren't like breaking 
anybody's brain and I'll, I'll make some specific YouTube content down the road about the specific workouts that I've done. If that is something that you want to do, but that's beyond the scope of what we're doing right here. <clears throat> so, um, the 5k went really well at altitude. My freaking GPS watch. Cause I didn't do it on a track was a little messed up. So I came, uh, my, uh, it popped 3.1. And it said 1505, which matches my PR, <clears throat> my lifetime PR at altitude. But I went back and looked at the the map and it got all off of the path a couple of times. And so I mapped it out and probably would have been about a 1525 uh, or something like that, which I'll still take. I will still take that for sure. And then the Deca Sim went really well. And the Deca Strong went really well. Uh, my deck of strong on my own at altitude was uh, PR was like 1150 something. And then I just was, I just did a little bit of sharpening up, talked to Bracken again about how to taper into this thing and just decided that I was ready uh, with what Tim had told me, like what I needed to do for this thing. I knew that I was confident in my abilities and my running and my station work and all of it. I got through this really hard, 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 hard training block. And it was hard physically but I managed to get through it without any type of even close to thinking I was going to get injured. I think because the multi-domain work allows more intensity than what <clears throat> regular running would do. <laughs> and that became clear that, and now I think I thought this before and I didn't have much evidence anecdotal or otherwise to, um, to lean on, but I think that over overtraining happens on the physical level. Um, that systemically it will take a ton if you are eating properly and you are, um, uh, sleeping properly and recovering all across the board, mostly nutrition. I think on this side, that's my personal, <clears throat> personal idea around it, but it is, uh, if you're just not beating your muscles down over and over and over, I don't think you'll get hurt. And that's not in these machines are easy to recover from low impact. So putting in that type of volume, uh, that type of intensity on the different domains, I think was really, really helpful. Um, and I also should mention, I came out of a caloric deficit <clears throat> four weeks before the event. I went from 179 to 173 um, in that amount of time. And and I start, I kept kind of losing a little bit. I was probably closer to 172 um, on the day of the event and during these high intensity blocks of training. <clears throat> so, and then leading in, just tapered in and, and, and got to the race. And because I felt so confident, I was sleeping well. I was feeling some good pop in my legs. Uh, overall, I was just like feeling ready and excited, not nervous. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hope that this would go well. I knew it was going to go well enough. I didn't know if it was going to be enough to win, <clears throat> but I knew it was going to go well for me. And then... On the race itself, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had a plan. <laughs> I had run a bunch of scenarios through my head of how this race could potentially play out. <clears throat> but then it was almost the day of the event. I got over and got to watch and, and see how these races were kind of playing out and and realizing that there was a lot of space in this race and that I, I didn't have to be super aggressive from the front. I think my fitness would have allowed me to do so. And it just been been in the pain cave a little earlier, <clears throat> but the way that the race went out was so aggressively fast that I knew that that was too fast. I I like I felt it, and the fitness that I had, 
I, I was so familiar with what I felt like and how my fitness was. And uh, just based on what other people, I thought other people could do, I knew it was too fast. And I think I might even said, I was like, this is too fast. And so I just kind of held in and, and went through the stations and, and, and just continued to run the way that I felt. My stations were fast. I came into the, I came into the lunges, um, I think like in sixth or seventh, maybe eighth and came out in third or something like that. So right away I was right in a place where I wanted to be. And then it was just trusting my fitness and getting to the places where I, I thought I could and uh, found myself up uh, right on Ryland in, in a really early position. And um, I knew I needed to, to kind of press to get into that bike and, and create some separation. And uh, getting to that bike, I had a good plan of like not trying to kill myself <laughs> and just surviving it. And I did that and came out and had some legs and another thing that I found inspiration from, and, and this is uh, there's like two parts to this is one of my conversations with, with, um, with Tim Silvestri again was, you know, you have your, like, he, he referred to it as having superpowers, right? Like when you have superpowers, you have to do hard things. Like just because the, like the superheroes have to save the day, they have to be the ones that are out there. If you have superpowers in the way that you want to have them before this race that nobody else can do anything, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to do with the hardest thing that you ever had to do in your life. And that and something Meg Jacoby had said after she set the high rocks world record was that of like, she said she felt like shit after the first station. And in that moment she decided like, well, if I'm going to set a world record, maybe that's what I have to do is feel terrible the entire time. And that's what she did. And she did it and she accomplished those things. So I was ready. <laughs> I was hoping that maybe it didn't, but after that bike, yeah, it felt really bad. And I went back and watched the video. It didn't look like I felt really bad. I think that's just a, a byproduct of the way that I run, that it just kind of looks like I'm I'm cruising along. I wasn't. It was a absolute fight. And the previous two events, I fell apart really bad after the bike and into the balls and into the sleds. And <clears throat> the burpees are whatever. I can just kind of get through those. But I didn't think it was over. And after every station, would the, the feeling during the runs was the same. It was so terrible. <laughs> I haven't gone through and done my splits yet. Like I said, I'll do that on YouTube and kind of give the whole breakdown of the whole deal. But just that I was able to, to deal with that type of discomfort for the amount of time that I was is really affirming. And, and that I, that my training was where it needed to be and that I trusted that fitness. And then when push came to shove, I was able to do the things and it was basically because of my preparation. And there has been times in the past where I just thought like, maybe I'm mentally not strong enough to, to be a world champion, to beat some of these guys. And like, I always thought there was pieces that just like kind of fell apart on me. And I didn't know if it was mentally, I wasn't ready enough, but uh, physically I wasn't ready enough. Physically I wasn't ready enough and they have to go hand in hand. Like for me, I just can't go out there and be the gutsiest person that prefontaine mentality which is overblown and i don't really think it exists that way if you <laughs> if you're not physically prepared through training or through some high level racing that you've done in the past for you to just to be out and go, go out there for me i'll say to just go out there and gut it out because i want to it doesn't seem to work that way but if i'm ready to gut it out like i now know that i can and that's a lot of what this the whole thing is for me, right. Is like getting to that point and knowing that I, I can, and I can do the hard things and I will do the hard things. And, but you have to do, I have to do it 
all the time. I have to do it in training. I have to do it in my daily life. I have to, to, to be dialed in when it's time to be dialed in. I have to do all the right things. And when I'm doing all those things, like, yeah, I'm going to be able to perform really fucking well. And I knew that. And that's what happened that day. And I'm really proud of that effort and really, really uh, like happy for what this means for the process going forward. Not that it changed anything. <laughs> Ryan Kent, when I had a conversation, he's like, yeah, let's think about these big races, man. Like you do them and like good things, ha- like good things happen on that day. And the next day you just, nothing's different. <laughs> You're still the same person. And I've had this, uh, this process of like trying to figure out like what this means or how I feel. And the one thing that I know is that I'm proud. Um, I'm proud of the effort that I put in forward, put in for, for this. I'm proud of, um, the dedication that I was able to put forward toward this and proud of the intentionality that I have in the training and, uh, being able to have people that I trust and I rely on and, and being able to seek out help when I need help. Uh, and, and being able to trust that is something I'm also really proud of. And, um, the world championship is great. <clears throat> you know, it's the first world championship. There's barely an international contingency on here. Um, so like if it was open to the world, I honestly don't think there's too many people who, who are in this space right now who would have been able to to beat me or Kent or Ryland that day. Um, just personal <laughs> based on my personal experience. But uh, and it's like the first one, right? Like it's because this could be like the 2007 CrossFit Games. If you go back and watch those videos of like 2000 through 2007 to 2009, it's terrible. They're terrible. (laughs) They can't even do muscle ups, right? They can't do anything. So this might be that level of performance that we're talking about in 20 years. But right now, it's a really cool historic stamp on a long career that I've had. And um, it feels great. It feels cool, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think I'm I'm, kind of drifting toward the self-indulgent part of uh of this conversation that i was trying to avoid um and yeah another great highlight was the deck is strong and i'm going to do a watch along i think with um for that on youtube as well we can kind of break down and being able to come second with that and that and a 20 something second pr 11 30 <clears throat> and chain is like the second fastest i think deck is strong time ever off the checkbook kent's time was I think it was right about that. And I don't think it was 0.1. So I'm going to take the second fastest deck of strong time of all time. And Kent that day was just on another level, dude. Like he was not, I knew it because I, I've spent so much time with him and seen him in his training. And I was like, this dude at sea level on with competition is going to run 1115. And he ran 1109, um, which is just otherworldly. So that was a, a, you know, the deck of fit, I think is what people are going to remember about this weekend, but the deck of strong is something I'm going to remember about this weekend because that's something I didn't even think I was going to qualify for. And I freaking got second. Um, so I'm really pumped about that. <laughs> and I'm also extremely, um, prompt and proud of the athletes who I had coached to get to this event. I had a couple of, of different people there who I just want to give a shout out for, for now and, Andrew Heffernan, who was at, who qualified for Deca Strong in the 50 to 54 age group, he came all the way from California to do Deca Strong, and that's just like really cool to me that this event has that type of appeal. That someone would dedicate, I think he had like I think he did like 16, 20 weeks or so of dedicated training just for this like 15 minute event, <clears throat> and he was willing to do it and went out of his way to come come out here. And he had a great plan. He like training was up and down, but had a plan for race day executed it well found himself in a, uh, a spot to finish out on the podium and just at the last set of burpees finished like two burpees behind and end up with a uh, very close to a pr and in 
in fourth place. And this course was not PR ready. It was like 80 meters of a deck of strong. A deck of strong is usually like 20 meters long. So Andrew was awesome. Definitely inspirational seeing him out there. I was so pumped. Eric Frank was in the 40 to 44 division. He qualified uh, and in Austin, what is age group there? And for deck of fit, He's, he has a running background and he just kind of found this and he's really excited about <clears throat> this new, this new Avenue. The training was up and down. Uh, I can't lie that that was like a great training prog- uh, progression going up, but the, we had a plan. We pulled a plan together, worked out some things, had four awesome weeks of a build. And on race day, he took the lead in that fucking race. He took it by the balls as my, <laughs> my, uh, my college coach used to say. And uh, he Bided his time, found a spot, took the lead in a very stacked field. Very stacked field. Bruce Jackson was a triple was a triple crown candidate for that and had a, a, the top time in this age group. And that's like, or I believe it was forty five to forty nine. I'm sorry, but those age groups, like the forty to forty four and forty five to forty nine, those are the strongest age groups. It's not the younger age groups; it's those ones because all of the younger athletes who are in under forty, the top athletes are they're typically elite still, but in those ones. It's everybody. So this was a stacked field, really deep race. Eric took the lead, ran his ass off, and uh, ended up running out of gas a little bit later on. Some of the strength uh, strength things, like the bike is always going to be, uh, has been an issue, and the the tank was hard. Ended up coming in fourth, but with a minute PR. Really proud of my guy, crushed. Uh, Meg Jacoby, if you've heard of her, um, <laughs> she just qualified for one, found out about DecaFit, I don't know. Two months ago, three months ago, drove five hours from where she lives to do one deck a mile to qualify in third position for the deck a mile. Made the trip down to AC, did that one race, set a freaking world record, 918. She's done three <clears throat> official uh, hybrid races, <laughs> two high rocks, one deck a mile, and has two world records. So if you haven't heard of her, you heard of her now. So make sure you're following her. Uh, Bridget Brown qualified in triple crown for the elite field. She came in as the third seed in the Deca fit. I think she was 12th in Deca strong. And I think she was fourth or fifth in Deca mile. And she is also an absolute inspiration. She has three kids under the age of nine. She has, I don't know, uh, it, because she probably sacrifices her time and her sleep she gets up super early, cranks out like 90 minutes to of hard work in the morning and always puts all of it all out there and is just willing to do whatever it takes to get better at where she's at. And uh, <clears throat> she ran a PR in the deck of fit and ended up on the podium in a really stacked field, ran, got seventh in the deck of strong when qualifying in 12th. And some of these athletes that she's going against have a lot of size and a lot of power on her, but she has crazy athleticism and a ton of grit. And then Deca Miles, she finished in fourth, which, um, you know, is what it was for that day. And, and she, she just put it all out there. So um, she took the lead in Deca Fit. She ran up on Lauren on Lauren Weeks and ran past her. You know, not many people can say that. But she did that. She, she was winning a world championship event. And uh, there's a lot that she can do and will do, I know, going forward. So, um Bridget is amazing. So make sure you give her a follow and, and follow her story. Cause like, again, true inspiration of what she's able to do with what she has. So um, keep an eye out. 
And lastly, Cheryl Snow, she was in the 55 to 59 age group. <clears throat> she was qualified in the Triple Crown, Deca Fit, Deca, Deca Strong, Deca Mile. And the goal was to win them all. She was the top seed coming into all of them. And she has an absolute thirst for improvement and for understanding and for process. She's all about understanding what is happening and how she can improve that in any way possible, almost to the point of her detriment. But she really is a student of this. She found this uh, endurance training much later in life. And has since really gone all in and the improvement that she's been able to, to accomplish just even over the short time of us um, <clears throat> working so close together has been astonishing. And like, she was out there and uh, like everybody in, in, and around her age group knew who she was and knew that like the race was over because she was there and she got there and she executed, I think she won by seven or eight minutes in the DECA fit had, had very little experience in a DECA strong and she's a fantastic runner. If you see her run, you're like, oh, that's going to be the fastest person here. So Decca Strong was one that was not quite sure how it was going to go. But she's tough. She's fit. She's mentally prepared to do what it needs to take to, to accomplish her goals. And she did it. She found a way. <clears throat> and the Decca Strong did like a minute PR or something like that. And then Decca Mile was basically a uh, – uh, a victory lap. <laughs> she still was able to win and and put it at home and take away the triple crown, which I think only like two other people that I know of. I didn't really scour the results, but I, only, I after watching basically every freaking event for the entire weekend, I think uh, Tim Snee and like fifty to fifty five, fifty to fifty four, I think took it home, and uh, Joe Rivera, who's I think at fifty five to fifty nine, uh, also I think won them all. But I'm not sure who else. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody. Anybody else? Tara Jackson almost did it on the elite, which would have been crazy. Uh, but Meg Jacoby was there waiting for her, and uh, that ain't gonna be easy. So, but Cheryl was one of the three triple crowns. I'm so proud of her. I'm so uh, uh, I, I feel really lucky to uh, have these type of athletes that I'm able to work close with. Um, so, really, it's just a shout out to them. Um, it's part of the process for me uh, and learning a lot from them and. Uh, knowing and, and affirming that, you know, what we're doing here is, is working and it's helpful and, and it's helping people get to their goals. And, you know, when people are, are working toward goals, even something like, you know, DecaFit, which in the scope of things, isn't that big of a deal, isn't in terms of like life, <laughs> but when you're doing that and putting your effort forward and something that you're passionate about and you're seeing results and you're reaching goals, like that translates into other things outside of just <clears throat> fitness and just, um, this small world that we're in. So yeah, that's, that's big reason uh, why we're out here doing it. And these athletes that I've been fortunate enough to work with um, are an inspiration um, to me and to, to others too. And uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud to, to be, to be their coach and, and of, of the efforts that they've, that they put out there. So um, shouts to you guys. Cool. Again, maybe self-indulgent over the course of this past 65 minutes, <clears throat> but also maybe super helpful. I don't know. You can let me know or just don't. I don't really, I don't really, I don't really mind, but we're going to have some other content for you coming forward. Like I said, check out the, we'll check out the YouTube channel. Uh, make sure to make some post. I'll make sure to make some posts. We're doing some stuff that are going to be more specific to the actual race in terms of splits and strategy. If you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but here, I hope, I hope it was helpful in terms of the, the training side of things for you. All right. We'll see you later.